Uh, But this morning, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And the topic that's on my heart to think about with you this morning is uh, the topic of dealing with anxiety. And it would be very fair to say that we live in a world of and are surrounded constantly by anxiety. We are surrounded constantly by worry, by nervousness, by anxious unease. And I'm not sure if you noticed, but it seems like everybody everywhere these days is talking about anxiety. I just the other day was in my car and I turned on my radio and I heard uh, these two really, yeah, I listened to the radio, which is kind of surprising. But I, I happened to hear these, these two ladies who were very uh, scholarly, prominent doctors and professors of medicine, and, and they were talking about the youth mental health crisis in America. And they were talking, both of these two respected doctors, uh, with a lot of concern about younger Americans and the issue of anxiety. According to their studies, one of these uh, women was a uh, professor at Harvard Medical School. Uh, So these were like serious scholars, and they shared that especially during the year 2020, the trends of anxiety, which have always been kind of high for younger people, are higher than they've ever been starting that year. And their point was that, especially in the last three years, high schoolers in America are more anxious than ever. They said we have an anxiety rise that started in 2020 and it hasn't gone away. And I don't think the reasons for this would be surprising to you that that they shared. They pointed to school stress, especially the time away from school during 2020 as well as all that stress of the uncertainty that came when there was a pandemic coming. And then there is just all the normal stress of like just being a teenager. There's friend stress, family stress, personal anxiety. And then there's uh, televised news of violence, which they mentioned, unrest and other social stresses. There's the stress over political ideas and agendas. They pointed to the stress of social media, the stress of overwhelming nonstop screen time. But we also know that all of this talk about anxiety isn't just for high schoolers. Uh, There's a yearly poll that was put out called Stress in America, which sounds like a really boring thing to read. Trust me, it, it is. But the thing that they said in this study was that it's not just young people, it's all Americans across the board, are anxious. And they're anxious about everything from money to the threat of wars to climate change to crime. And many people in this Stress in America study also said that our nation's future looks bleak. And along with that, those doctors that I was talking about, they were saying there's no way out of this. There's no solution to the anxiety that we're seeing spiking right now. And at this point, you might be going, Ryan, what are you doing? Uh, This is not helpful. This is bad news. Uh, You can just leave. (laughs) Uh, Well, here's all I'm trying to say with what I'm saying, and I'll stop with all the weird statistics. But uh, 
I don't think it's crazy or, or that it's a big stretch to say that we live in really anxious times. We live in a worried world, a worked up, worn out world. And you know, Christians aren't excluded from all of this talk about anxiety. In fact, the Bible, even going back to the time that the Bible was written, has so many stories of people who were anxious, who were worried, who wrestled with worry, even as they knew the one true God. In fact, I'm, spe- I'm sure that like with all those statistics as well as we talk about those, there's not one person in this room that's excluded from the talk about anxiety. Anxiety, worry is, is common to all of us. And there are obviously so many ways that we could think about how should we deal with anxiety. Uh, there's many good and godly and wise ways that uh, we could talk about to address anxiety. And there are obviously so many not so good ways that we should think about anxiety or how to deal with it. But this morning, my hope is just to point you to some very familiar words. Really, what are some basics of the Christian life? If you are in Christ, these are probably familiar words, but I think they're so helpful for us to think about in an anxious world that we live in. This morning, I want us to to remember to think upon some truths about peace that come all the way back from the days of the Bible. And I want to show you that God's word has amazing encouragements for you as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are wrestling with anxiety, which I'm guessing pretty much everyone in this room wrestles with a little bit of anxiety. Paul, writing here to the Philippian believers, gave uh, some simple instructions in Philippians chapter 4 that promote real peace in their lives. And I love these verses because they show us that God wants us to know and to live in his powerful peace. Just think about that. God wants you to know his powerful peace in your life. And that's a peace that surrounded by people that's important because we're surrounded by people who don't have that peace. But we can have that if we know the Lord. And we alone can have that if we know the Lord. And this morning, in in case you're forgetting, I just want to remind you of, of some of these encouragements that God gives us in his word for believers to embrace and, and to follow and obey. Uh, four very straightforward reminders from our Lord about how to have God's powerful peace in your life. This isn't the end all of of how to deal with anxiety, but here are four really good ways to help you. Look at uh, Philippians chapter four with me this morning. In verse one, it says this. Therefore, my my brothers, loved and longed for, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to think the same way in the Lord. Indeed, I ask you also, genuine companion, help these women who have contended together alongside of me in the gospel, with also Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your considerate spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We have four wonderful reminders for believers to embrace in this passage. And and the first uh, way, if we want to know God's powerful peace, I think we see here is, is number one, that we should cherish unity. Cherish unity. And this is in verses two and three. The Apostle Paul has been writing this, this familiar letter, this joyful, warm letter to these friends of his who were believers in Christ in Philippi. The year was 60 AD, and Paul, who had uh, been with these Christians from the beginning to help establish this church in Philippi, is now off away in prison in Rome. But meanwhile, back here in Philippi, Paul has these fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And he longs to see them, chapter 1, verse 8 says, with the affection of Christ Jesus. And we discover as we read through this book, which I just challenge you, go home, read it. It takes like a few minutes. But we, we find as we read this letter that the Philippian church was at risk. Yes, they had believed in Christ, but uh, there were certain issues that had the potential to rob their joy in this life. There were the threats of suffering that were coming upon them. Even this man who had been so impactful, a leader to them in the faith, was now in prison. Can you imagine how that would feel to have your pastor in prison? In chapter 1, verse 28, Paul had to encourage them, don't be alarmed. Anxiety was a growing threat to these Christians in Philippi. They could be alarmed. But look at chapter 4 after verse 1 where Paul again expresses his love for this church. He gets into these encouragements. And and this gets very personal to the church of Philippi. God wants them, Paul says, to be a strong church. He wants them to stand firm. He wants them to be stable Christians who know God's peace. And here he shows them how. In verse 2, Paul says this, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to think the same way in the Lord. Can you imagine what it was like when this letter was read in their church? Uh, This would be like Pastor Esai calling out two of your favorite small group leaders in the middle of his sermon by name because they're not getting along. This would be the most awkward thing. I bet you could hear a pin drop when they heard Euodia and Syntyche's names. What's the problem? Well, they were not in harmony. And Paul said, this needs to be fixed. This needs to be called out immediately. And there's some kind of disagreement here. There are differing viewpoints that have clashed, and there's disunity that's working its way throughout the church in Philippi, and it started to be kind of underneath the surface, but now it's 
coming from out underneath the surface, and people are probably aware that Yodia and Syntyche are in disunity. And we don't know what is causing them to disagree, but we do know verse 3 tells us that they were women who had shared, uh, contended together alongside of Paul and the gospel. They had shared in Paul's struggle for Christ. That word for struggle there is, is the word of, uh, speaking of contending athletes. It's, it's people who are uh, like even in a military or gladiators. These people were like gospel gladiators, which sounds, I think, like a bad VBS theme. But these were two women who were serious, mature Christians. They weren't new to the faith, and, and they were real Christians. Their name was in the book of life. But Yodia and Syntyche were also acting in a way that did not honor God. And though they were Christians, they had drifted into divisiveness. They had issues in their relationships. And this was going to cause enormous trouble in the church of Philippi. So much so that another person there uh, in verse 3, Paul says a true companion Uh, We don't know exactly who that is, but he's called on here to help. And then even more, the entire church is brought in here to know about this issue between these two women. You know, disunity in the church is like that. All it takes is, is for strife to start with two people, and then it starts to spread to a few more people, and more and more people. And and then before you know it, the whole church can be uh, in disunity. If you've been a, a Christian for any amount of time, you know, and it's sad, and it shouldn't be this way, but you know that Christians aren't perfect, and Christians can fall into disunity. Disunity can be like a wildfire. It, it starts with the smallest little spark, but then all of a sudden it can be very destructive. It can be very powerful. And perhaps this is why back in Philippians 2, Paul was telling the whole church they needed to be of the same mind. They needed to have a humble love, a unity of one spirit, intent on one purpose, he told them. Yodia and Syntyche, these two women needed to be helped. They needed to remember that the Lord uh, was, uh, had saved them that they had a new relationship with him. And just think about it. This unity can, uh, broken relationships in a church can cause a lot of anxiety in a church. A lot of worry in a church. I mean, we have a hurricane that's causing us worry, right? (laughs) It's causing me worry, okay. But here's the point. How could Philippi, how could this church know peace and freedom from worry if sinful disunity was spreading throughout their church? And here's the question. How can we know peace in our lives if there's disunity with others in our life? Sadly, this is something that's common in the lives of Christians. It's very possible to happen even in the lives of mature Christians. But I think Paul here is getting at we need to protect our unity. And one of the joyful benefits of that is that 
we can have peace in our lives. You know, some people's lives are so erect with worry because of their relationships with others are broken and they're messed up. What would this look like for you to pursue unity? Well, it means shutting down and fighting against in our own hearts every form of strife and gossip, every form of pettiness, every form of bitterness towards others around you. And that includes even the very close relationships in your lives, like with your parents, uh, your, yes, annoying little brother, those people at church who, uh, they are Christians, they're brothers and sisters in Christ, but I wouldn't, you know, naturally be friends with them. Paul is saying we need to live peaceably with all men. I love Ephesians 4, 2, and 3. It says, we are to walk with all humility as Christians in gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And we are to live in peace with each other. And the, one of the amazing benefits of it is that it gives you peace when you know this, when you pursue this. So if we want to know God's powerful peace, uh, first here, Paul is telling us cherish unity. But next, number two, we also get this instruction, and it's this, to rejoice continually. And this is in verse four. Paul keeps on going now kind of more in a quick way with these short and sweet invitations. And he says, rejoice, church. Rejoice always. This is an imperative command. They must do this. This needs to be the ongoing habit at all times of the believers in Philippi. Be glad. Be joyful. And he repeats himself just in case uh, anyone's wondering, like, Paul, did you really just say, be joyful to us? Yes. Again, I will say it. Rejoice. And this is not the first time we've heard this from Paul either. If you read this book, you'll find that Paul's talking about joy over and over and over again. And now, Paul, again, he's calling these Christians to live a joyful life. And this is a kind invitation, a kind reminder, a loving encouragement to remember to be joyful, to rejoice. And not, of course, to rejoice because life is so easy, for you as a Christian. Uh, Paul here was in prison, in case we forgot. Uh, Paul was desiring to depart and be with Christ. Paul had very real enemies that were causing him distress. Paul had taken up his cross and he was following Jesus in humble suffering. Paul was living in a crooked and perverse generation. Paul was fending off the threat of dangerous false teaching. Paul had not yet become perfect. He was fighting the flesh, and that was discouraging. And Paul was in this letter weeping because he could think about people around him who did not know Christ or who had rejected Christ. Paul obviously knew sorrow, and he didn't have reason to rejoice in all of his circumstances going on around him. That's not what this is telling us to do. And the Philippians didn't have reason to rejoice in their circumstances. And we don't have always reason to rejoice in our circumstances. 
but he did and we all do have reason to rejoice in the Lord, Paul says. Our Lord who has loved us. Our Lord who is the God of our salvation. Our Lord who has chosen us before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him forever and ever. We have reason to rejoice in our Lord who is in control, who rules over all things in his sovereignty. We have reason to rejoice in our Lord who is in control over the winds and the waves, and our Lord who is in control over the troubles, every trouble of your life. We have a Lord who has done great things, and so we have every reason, if you are in Christ, to be joyful. And again here, I think, how sad to be without Christ. If you don't know the Lord, you don't know this joy, and you never could apart from knowing Christ. You know, no one is an example of this like Johnny Erickson Tata. And uh, I think of the story of her because she has been in a wheelchair. She has been uh, suffering as a quadriplegic. I can't even say it. She has no use of her arms and legs. And she's been in that situation for 56 years. She has no reason to rejoice in her circumstances. But you know what's amazing? People that know Johnny would tell you that she is one of the most joyful people they've ever met in their life. And it's real joy. She is joyful in the Lord. Only the Lord could explain that. I love one of her sayings. It's that this, I'd rather be in this wheelchair knowing God than on my feet without him. That's joy in the Lord. When you can't look at your circumstances around you and find any reason for joy, but that you can remember who your God is, a God who loves you, a God who saved you, a God who's brought you into his everlasting kingdom and can fill your life with joy no matter the troubles that you will face. And we will face trouble in this life. Many kinds, uh, kinds that maybe you feel like nobody else gets the trouble that I feel. But there are those times like when we feel like there's situations that there's nothing we can grasp onto to rejoice in. But Paul was saying here, you have every reason to rejoice if you know Jesus Christ. No matter what, And it's a continual rejoicing. It's a rejoicing that doesn't stop through the sorrow. Paul says it well in 2 Corinthians 6, 10. He was sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. How could he say that? Because he knew the Lord. He knew God. And so he rejoiced. I like what Spurgeon says here, and I'll just read this. He says, Some Christians are sadly prone to look on the dark side of everything and to dwell on more what they have gone through or going through than upon what God has done for them. Ask for their impression of the Christian life and they will describe their continual conflicts, their deep afflictions, their sad adversities, and the sinfulness of their hearts. Yet with scarcely any allusion to the mercy and help which God has secured for them. But a Christian whose soul is in a healthy state uh, will come forward joyously and say, I will speak not about myself, but to the honor of my God. 
He has brought me out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock and he's established my goings. He has put a new song in my mouth, even praise to our God. The Lord has done great things for me and so I am glad. God wants you to know his powerful peace. How? Even through sorrow, we seek and we find our joy in him, in the Lord. So God is teaching us here, cherish unity, rejoice continually. And number three, this instruction for Christians to live graciously. And this is in verse five. He says, let your considerate spirit be known to all men. Let your gentle spirit. Uh, This has been translated, let your reasonableness be known or your considerate, gentle spirit be known. This word speaks of yielding, gentle, kind, considerate, tolerant, reasonableness to people around you. And I love what Pastor John says here. He says, perhaps the best corresponding English word is graciousness. The graciousness of humility. The humble graciousness that produces the patience to endure injustice, disgrace, and mistreatment without retaliation, bitterness, or vengeance. And he goes on to say, it runs counter to the cult of self-love that was rampant in ancient society and is rampant in modern society as well. But focusing on self-love, self-esteem, and self-fulfillment only leads to greater instability and anxiety. If you want a way to understand the anxiety of the world we live in, I think it's a little bit of that. Our world is so consumed with self. But what a helpful reminder as uh, the Philippians were living in this kind of world, that they were to live differently. And as they lived that different way, they would know God's peace. This is the kind of Christian Peter spoke of in 1 Peter. It's a kind, humble, reasonable Christian that lives in an unkind, proud, unreasonable world. It's a Christian who does not return evil for evil, 1 Peter 3, 9 says, or insult for insult, but instead gives a blessing. It's the same idea as Philippians 2, 4. Uh, Do not merely look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of other people in your life. It's the attitude of selfless grace that is others-focused. And if we need an illustration of that, we don't have to look far because it's Jesus Christ. Jesus did not regard equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and took the form of a servant. Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Christ was reviled, but he did not revile in return. Christ suffered, but he did not threaten. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This is the kind of person I want to be. It's the person you should want to be. Like Jesus Christ, who had their eyes off of themselves, and whose eyes are on God, and whose eyes are on others. And that's what they're concerned with. It's a self-forgetfulness that's replaced with loving other people. And that's very practical. 
And it's totally opposite from this world that we live in. You know, all this seems like it's getting more and more difficult. It is totally rare to be somebody who is gracious in this world. Yet Paul is saying, if you want to have peace in your life as a believer, that's the way you have to be living. And it's the way for others to see the glory of Christ on display in your own life. And it's so practical to consider how we're doing. You know, I can think back to times in my life, uh, especially certain times as I walk with the Lord. I would say some of the most sweet, joyful, wonderful times in my life as a Christian have been those times where I'm serving other people and I'm not even in the equation at all. What would be uh, for us to be missing this graciousness? Well, it looks like selfishness. It looks like constantly criticizing and, and constantly being negative. It looks like bitterness. It looks like grumpiness. It looks like being quick to speak and slow to listen. It looks like anger. But what would it look like for you to embrace this command? What would it look like for you to be a gracious Christian? Well, here I believe it's telling us it looks like selflessness. It looks like you serving in practical ways uh, the people around you in your life, in your home, in your, in your family, at church, with your friends. It looks like us as having the reputation, being known as somebody who is gracious at your school, even among unbelievers. And that does an amazing thing for the testimony of Christ in this world. It looks like you finding creative ways to use your spiritual gifts that God has given you as a believer in Christ in the church. And the amazing thing is all of this is part of God's answer to anxiety. And so first here we see this instruction, cherish unity, rejoice continually, live graciously. And then finally, number four, if we want to know God's peace in this anxious world, we of course, number four, pray thankfully. And this is in verse five through seven. Look at the end of verse five. Paul writes, the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here is the pathway if you want to know peace in your Christian life. And honestly, it's so basic and familiar, but it is so needed for us to hear this. I guarantee whoever you are in this room, you need to hear this. I need to hear this. God is near and he is coming back quickly. And we don't know uh, with total certainty if this is the statement the Lord is near is talking about like, is the Lord present spatially like in closeness or is he present in time? Like, is he returning soon? But really both truths are helpful here. The fact that our God is near to the brokenhearted, the fact that our God is near to anyone who would call on him, the fact that our God is near in the fact that he is coming again. He is coming to make all things right. He is coming again to judge 
the world, and he is coming back to bring believers with him into eternal glory. Philippians 3 says, we are citizens of heaven, and we wait eagerly for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. Are you anxious? You need to know that the Lord is near. God's nearness here reminds me of of that little child, uh, that little kid who can call out to their parents in the middle of the night. And what happens when they call? Their mom, their dad hears, and they come. They're near. They say, I'm right here with you. We have a God who is right here with us. And he is abounding in riches to all who call on him. He is ready to hear you. He wants to hear you. He invites you to hear, to call to him. And the command and really the invitation of verse six is this then, do not be anxious, but instead in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Some of you could probably say that like as a memory verse that you remember from a little kid. And I just want us to think about it for a second. Instead of it just being some words that you would ramble off. First, the instruction here in this verse is do not worry. Stop the worry. Stop holding on to your troubled cares and your, uh, the anxieties and the distractions and fears that are causing you to forget who your God is. Stop worrying. Instead, the following instruction, pray with thanksgiving. And you know, it can be so easy to let worry burden down our hearts. It can uh, be so easy to let worry be something that, at least I've found, uh, to just let it be something that we think about ourselves. Uh, To think about, okay, what happens if this happens? And then what do I do about this? (laughs) It's so easy to think about it for yourself. And then it can be so easy to talk about it with other people. And I'm thankful that we have other people in our lives that we can talk to about the things that are on our hearts. But how often do we forget to pray about it, to bring it to the Lord who wants us to bring all our cares on him? His desire is for that. In 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. And this is what Jesus said when he spoke to the disciples in Luke 12 and in Matthew 6. Do not worry. You have a father who is in heaven, who has chosen to give you his kingdom gladly. You have a father who wants you to seek his kingdom, to seek him daily and to pray to him, to call on him. And really, all of this is so familiar that we would cherish unity that we would rejoice continually, that we would live graciously, and that we would pray thankfully. And in the end, the promise is verse 7. He says, The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There is a peace that is unexplainable, that this world cannot understand. There is a peace that is exclusive for certain people 
And it's those people who have believed in Jesus Christ, who have found in him that they can be forgiven of their sins, that they can have their relationship with God made right, that they can have everlasting life if they would repent and believe in him. This is an offer for anyone who would come to Christ. Jesus said, come to me all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is a peace that's outside of of human ability to grasp. It's a peace that uh, surpasses our understanding. And it's a peace from God, which will guard our hearts and our minds forever. Our hearts will be protected with peace, this verse is telling us, because we know the God of peace. We know Jesus Christ. You know, we live in a worried, worked up, worn out world. Everybody is talking about anxiety. And we live in a world that's looking for solutions. And and even some of the smartest people out there don't have the answer. But Paul reminds us, you can know the God of peace. He is Jesus Christ. And you can have in him peace that surpasses all understanding. And even where the outlook of this world for a lot of people feels like it's so bleak, like there's no hope, really with it, without Christ, it is bleak and there is no hope. But the outlook for us that we need to embrace and live and understand and follow is that we have found peace and it is in Jesus Christ. And here are some helpful, basic reminders of the answer that God's word gives us to anxiety. It is the God of peace and he is near. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are near. Thank you, God, that you uh, are coming again. Thank you, God, that you are near to all who are uh, brokenhearted. Thank you, God, for the offer of peace that you give us ultimately in the gospel that we can be forgiven from our sins and have peace with God through you, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help these students to embrace uh, Christ and to embrace these, uh, these virtues that Paul puts forth in this chapter. Help them to be peace filled Christians in an anxious world. Help us to obey your word, to live it out, to follow what you say here. And thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for each student in this room. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.